We're going to be in 2 Peter, and we're going to start as soon as we get there to the 12, at the 12th verse of 2 Peter chapter 1. That's where they'll be. So if you're going to get baptized, you come up afterwards and we'll talk a little bit, okay? Uh, if you're going to get baptized, and we're not going to put you in diapers or anything, but uh, I'm holding these diapers because uh, we're doing a diaper drive, okay? So this is my little prop, although it's not a prop because somebody left it here today. So good job, whoever that was. <clears throat> and we need all sizes, and we've teamed up with a ministry to the refugee community here in the South Hills. How do you say it? Agapao? Well, I know what agape is, but anyway, it's a word that I can't pronounce, but it means love in action. How about that? And uh, they minister to over 200 families in the refugee community here uh, four miles from here. So uh, one of the things they need are diapers. And uh, World Vision usually gives them their extras, but World Vision shut down, so they have none. So uh, if you want to do that, uh, bring them here on Sundays or Wednesdays or call Kelly during the week, and you can drop them off at the office. And that'll be tremendous. Uh, we could bless them, okay? So that's that. And um, yes, baptisms. Listen, masks. Masks. Okay, I get it. Trust me, I've talked to several people over the last few days. Um, I get both sides. Listen, I understand that there's two sides to this story, and really there's not two. There's several thousand different opinions about whether to wear masks or not to wear masks, just in general. And I get it, and I've read the science and talked to people, and we're in touch with the, the council that's meeting with the government, and some of you would say, well, that's your first mistake, and I recognize that too. I recognize that too. I'm just going to say, I was born at night, but not last night. Okay, so I get you. When you come, you're welcome to come anytime. Talk to me about your thoughts and feelings about masks. I understand those thoughts and feelings, trust me. I know more about masks now than I've ever wanted to know in my entire life. But I also realize this, that it's starting to even creep into the church and be divisive. And I can't imagine that we would divide over an issue of masks. Now, some of you are going to say, well, you should divide over that. It either should be this way or that way. Well, you show me where it says you have to wear masks or don't have to wear masks in the Bible. Now, you're also going to say, but there are great principles of the Bible that we should stand up for and uh, never uh, uh, waver on. Yes, there are some of those, but there are also some principles in the Bible in which Jesus, not being in, guilty or not being guilty, he was an innocent man, laid down his rights for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's times when we have to bend too. There's an appropriate bending and an inappropriate bending, and I'm aware of them. So is the leadership of the church. So We've prayed about it, and we've asked that you wear masks to and fro here at the, at the fellowship. That's not going to make everybody happy. I get it. But there's a segment of the population that are over here. I'll call them anti-mask, and they're hardcore anti-mask, or 
And then there's a segment of the population that are anti or pro-mask, you know, anti-nomad, you know what I'm saying. Make sure you wear your mask, and that's over here. And then there's people in the middle that kind of don't care. You can either say that's good or that's bad, but that's really, that's really the reality of it. That's just the reality. So listen, I just want you to know there's room for everybody here, whether they want to be pro-mask or anti-mask. There's room for you here. But when you come here, we're just asking that you abide by what the leaders have prayed about and thought about. And you, you might disagree with what we've prayed about and sought about. I, I, I recognize that too. And I don't mean this. You know how sometimes people say like, well, if you don't like something, leave. That's not what I'm saying with what I'm about ready to say here. But if you're pro-mask and you can't come here and participate and bend a little, (laughs) then you probably shouldn't come. And if you're, did I say pro-mask? I meant anti-mask, if you're anti-mask. But if you're pro-mask and you come here and you can't bend a little, I guess I could have done it, and bend a little and, uh, uh, you know, be flexible, then you probably shouldn't come. And I don't mean that, I'm telling you, I don't mean that with any animosity because I want you all to come. Whether you're the most hardcore pro-mass person or the most hardcore anti-mass person, I, my hope and prayer is that you would all come. And I get it. You're not going to like everything. You're not going, but, but of all places, and we can have rigorous debate. There's nothing wrong with rigorous debate, but it should not be divisive in here. And if it becomes divisive, then we have a problem. And so I'm just praying that each one of us, starting with myself, would pray for soft hearts, teachable hearts here, teachable hearts, not that you have to uh, agree with everything I agree or she agrees with or he agrees with, but that we'd have teachable, humble, pliable hearts. So with that said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. We are going to be done on Wednesday night this week. I know you find it hard to believe, but we are in the 59th, I believe, chapter of Isaiah. We've gone through 59 chapters in about five or six weeks, I think, Uh, right? I can't believe you don't think that's amazing. But anyway, and we're going to finish, we're going to finish Isaiah this week. We're going to finish it. And then... Uh, we're going to start, and I don't tell you this to like, you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you, folks. There's a segment of the evangelical prop- population that are so preoccupied with prophecy that, as one pastor said, they're no earthly good. And yet we should know prophecy and understand it and may be sober and alert and awake to it. So we're going to start the book of Revelation And we're going to do it on Wednesday. That's kind of my little jab to those who don't come on Wednesdays. That's a joke. It's a joke. But but anyway, come on Wednesdays and you'll hear uh, Revelation if that's what you want to do. Uh, Here's what I want you to know. I mean, it's going to put us in a place where, uh, and this leads me to the final announcement. It's going to put us in a place where we've completed the New Testament very quickly. And that's appropriate because guess what today is? And nobody's wished me happy anniversary. Today's the fifth uh, year anniversary of Calvary Chapel in this building, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. 
So five years ago, uh, we, this weekend, uh, John Kennedy was in that hallway, like one of those memes with, you know, a ladder on top of a platform, uh, bending over at about two o'clock in the morning, putting the final touches <laughs> on the paint. And uh, that, that guy painted pretty much the entire church. And so we're thankful for uh, him and for everybody who got this up and running uh, because it took a whole army of people to do it. Uh, before that, we met at the Elizabeth Grand Theater for about a year and a half. And before that, we met in our home for about um, 11 years. And that's how all of this got started. Well, anyway, uh, praise the Lord for anniversaries of that kind. God bless you. Okay, do me a favor and turn with me to 2 Peter verse 1 or chapter 1. I say verse and chapter and get it mixed up all the time. Just go with it, okay? And uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Chapter 1, verse 12. I'm going to read to you the rest of the chapter, and then we're going to um, hopefully learn some things that we uh, didn't know before. And um, what a blessing this is. So here we go. Here's the word of the Lord, starting in verse 12. For this reason, I will not be negligent to uh, remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth, yes, I think it's right, as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things, that you always have a reminder of these things. For we didn't follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, uh, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a in dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Well, pray with me one more time, will you? Well, Lord, we need your help, we really do, to understand this. These are complex passages, and we ask, Lord, that you'd help us learn them and grow in them and Lord, help to hit us in the heart, do surgery in our hearts today, and then strengthen us, Lord, so that we could minister on our knees, washing the feet of many. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for this reason, he starts in verse 12, what is this reason? Well, you'd have to know the whole story of the beginning of chapter 1. That's what, for this reason. Peter here, at the end of his life, he's almost ready to die. Let me take you somewhere and show you something that you may or may not know. Turn with me to the 21st chapter of the book of John. 
Turn with me to the 21st chapter uh, of the book of John. Uh, This is where Jesus uh, cooks breakfast for the apostles there by the sea. And he's restoring Peter after one of Peter's many, you know, major failing. Who here feels like sometimes they have let down the Lord? I have. I have totally felt like I've let down the Lord. And when I do, I come back to this story often. You see, the Lord didn't give up on Peter. Where many in the church, in the world especially, but in the church too... People in the church would have given up on Peter. Wait a second. You denied the Lord at his most critical time, and you call yourself a leader? You're one of the inner circle. Jesus takes you places that I didn't get to go, the other nine would say. And you do this? If I would have been in your shoes, I don't think there's any way I would have done this. I can imagine the mud that was slung at Peter. And then on top of that, I'm sure he felt worse than even the mud that was being slung at him. Get me? And Jesus restores Peter here. What a restoration. You all love it. So do I. But I forget this one part sometimes. You know this in First Peter. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Oh, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Phileo, the word brotherly love. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. <laughs> he said to him, well, tend my sheep. And then he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He was talking brotherly love there. Do you brotherly love me? And Peter's like, what do you mean do I brotherly love you? I love you deeper than that. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I uh, love you. I want to love you in a deeper way. You know that I love you, agape, in a deeper way. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you don't wish. Don't stop there. Read the next line. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Remember now, he says to Peter, when you're old, old, you're going to die for my sake. You're going to be persecuted to the point of death. (laughs) What a restoration, huh? By the way, I said the wrong word up there, agape, that last time. It was still phileo, but that's for another sermon. Now, turn back with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter is writing this letter knowing that he's about ready to die. He's in Rome, and he's going to die at the hands of the Roman persecutors. The uh, extra-biblical sources tell us that he, they went to crucify Peter, and he, of course, said, I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Lord and Savior, and so they crucified him upside down. Horrific death. But he's writing this letter knowing that he's going to perish, and so it becomes a very important letter. The first letter, 1 Peter, is all about persecution. 
And of course, he felt the sting of persecution. He's going to die at the hands of his persecutors. The second letter is written to us so that we will know right doctrine. Okay? We haven't actually got to that part yet, but this book is about right doctrine and that there are going to be many who are going to pile into the church. Jesus even talks about it in his parable of the wheat and the tares, wheat and weeds, good plants, bad plants. There are going to be many who come into the church and they're going to teach false doctrine. And that's deceptive and bad. And Peter, with his last dying breath, think about it, Peter, with his last dying breath, wants us to know, wants them to know, wants us to know what it looks like, what good doctrine develops in people's lives. What happens to a person who's following and trusting in orthodox, good, healthy, majestic doctrine that starts with grace and peace in verse 2. How? How do you get grace and peace? Do you read the seven keys to grace and peace? Uh Huh? You come into a knowledge of God, letting him know you, which he does, and you knowing him. And he says it throughout the entire thing. He's telling us that the most important thing you can do as I die here, Peter says, is develop your relationship with the Lord. And I ask you, I ask you, I don't know, I'm not talking about knowing the facts of the Bible. There are a lot of people that know the Bible. There are a lot of people that know about Jesus. But Jesus said, many are going to say, Lord, Lord, and I'm going to say, I never even knew you. Do you know Jesus? Look at John 17, 3. This is eternal life, John 17, 3 says, is that you know God and his son, Jesus Christ. You know him as much as we can know God. Are you developing that in your life? I wonder, do I get up and I spend my time with the Lord? Mark 1 says Jesus would get up and go off early before the sun would rise to a solitary place so he could commune with his father and get resource for the day. That's what he did daily. He would come home from an amazing night of ministry, healing and touching and blessing and speaking with and dealing with annoying people. Just being honest, that's ministry. And messy people and people who don't have it together and people who do have it together or whatever you want, all this night and ministry, 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 I would be tempted to go straight home, get on the couch get a pizza, and just don't think about anything. Jesus would go out and be a a prey and get more resource even for his sleep. You, You see it? He was in constant communication with the Lord, and he's our model, but we come to a knowledge of him, and that gives us, look at this, which we then can get exceedingly great and precious promises to to trust in and stand in, that we are partakers of the divine nature. Oh, go study that and be blown away. And then he says this, I want you to make your calling and election sure. I want you to examine yourself. Paul would say, actually, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine myself. Am I just pretending? Am I a poser? Am I fake? 
He says, if your life doesn't look like this, then the new life hasn't happened to you. You could go to church for 50 straight years, give tons of money in a box, serve on every committee that there is, stand up and preach. But if your life isn't matching up with this, he says, maybe you ought to rethink if you've ever surrendered your life to the Lord and given your whole life to him. And he says these are the things. Faith and virtue and knowledge. And here you go, folks. Self-control and perseverance and godliness. And look at here. I want to just scream it from the rooftops this week. Brotherly kindness and love, real love, not the love of the world that loves you because you look like me or you act like me or you think like me. No, love that loves people who think other things than me and looks different than me. That kind of love. I want that to show up in your life, Peter says. For if these things are yours, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful. In other words, you'll be pouring, there'll be fruit pouring out of your life. And what is fruit for? Never forget it. What is fruit for? So other people can come and get a great big taste of life in Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean you just walk around with a big smile on your face all the time, telling them, patting them on the head and telling them everything's okay. That means you speak to them truthfully, but lovingly. You speak to people lovingly, but truthfully. See, we have a whole sector of people in Christendom that speaks all truth, and they bludgeon people to death. And then we have a whole sector in Christendom who believe in love and do what you want and all that sort of nonsense. And the Bible calls us, like Jesus, to be the perfect blend of grace and truth. People know that you love them when they talk, when you talk and speak into their lives. But you do speak into their lives because they know that you love them, you see. And you can't love people if you don't know their stories, in my opinion. Oh, you can on the street if you just meet them or whatever. But if you really want to love somebody, take the time to listen to them. Not, you ever met that person? I mean, it's annoying, man. You know the people, because I'm a lawyer, because I see this a lot. So you're going to get ready to present your side of the argument, right? And, you know, you're in their court. You're, you're actually standing at something that looks very much like this. Isn't that interesting? And then the person that you're going against, the opponent standing right there, and the judge is right there, and you can see out of the corner of your eye, and you're giving it your best shot, and it's good. You've prepared. And this person over here is not listening at all to you. What they're doing is they're, you know, you can see them. Oh, wow, that's a point. He looks at you when you say that, and he writes or she writes it down, and then he'll look, oh, okay, I'm going to refute you with that. Oh, good point, but, you know, i got to come back for that. And you can see it coming. You know what's coming. They are going to have, right? You ever had somebody in conversation that's like that? What a drag. You, you don't really care about me or what I think. You care about what you think and how you can unload it on us. That's right. That's not love and grace and truth. There's a combination where you listen to people and then you love back and that's love. And you'll be fruitful for he who lacks these things, amazing to me, is short-sighted. And that's not the word 
They're not talking about Christians who, or excuse me, non-Christians who are blind. Because the Bible says non-Christians are blind. Anybody outside of Christ is spiritually blind and can't hear, the Bible says. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about those who claim they're Christians but can't see down long term. All they see is what's right in front of them. They're short-sighted. They won't take the time or the effort or the, uh, the compassion to look deep into something. They're even blindness, and they've forgotten. Look at this. They've forgotten that they've been cleansed from the old sins. What happens to you when you are high and mighty? Anybody here ever get high and mighty? Okay, I do. I get high and mighty. And then when I start to think about the cross... And what that's accomplished in my old life, it just takes me in the best way. And it just takes my walls down to a place of humility. And that's what he's saying here. That's the way we're supposed to live. That's what your life should look like. So should mine. And he says, be even more diligent, verse 10, to make your call. Sure, for if you do these things, you're not going to stumble. And this is the most beautiful. This is the most beautiful. This is why I've said it to you. There's a word in verse 5, it says, add to your faith virtue. That word is add. I took, did this last week. It mean, actually, I don't know why I'm doing this, because there's nothing in it. <clears throat> but add to your faith virtue. That word means lavishly supply. And it was used in the Greek world for a person who would back a chorus like a big chorus, like, you know, down at Heinz Hall where everybody's singing, what's the name of, Mendelssohn Choir here in Pittsburgh. It would be the person who would foot the bill. They would lavishly supply it so that the concert could go forth and everything could be in concert, a nice blend with beautiful music. Now look, this is so fantastic, I can hardly contain myself. Because Paul uses the same word in verse 11. If you examine yourself and your life is this, Don't be a fool. Don't be fooled. Does your life start to grow these things? Listen to this in verse 11. For so an entrance will be supplied. It's the same exact Greek word. Supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's giving you the picture of when you come to be in heaven with the Lord. It's giving you a picture, not that you're going to like creep in. Oh man, I hope he doesn't see me. It's giving you the picture that the choir is going to start. And it's going to be lavish. Look, look, look at this. Over just one, you. Given that, Paul or Peter says, it's so important. Do you see how important it is? See, this is the main thing, keeping the main thing the main thing. This is the main thing. For this reason, he says in verse 12, given all that I've said, including the fact that I want to give you the gospel so that you're going to have a grand and glorious entrance into heaven. For this reason, Paul says, or Peter says, as I get ready to die, he doesn't say that, but that's what's happening. As I get ready to die, I want you to leave you with this. I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Now turn with me. I know, I like to flip around. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. 
I just want you to see it with your own eyes. It's so beautiful. You see how, well, we'll talk about this later, but you see how supernaturally natural the Holy Spirit works in a person's life? If you get to Luke 22, look at verse 32. This is very familiar to you, but I wonder if you know it like this. And, he, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Wouldn't that be a revelation if you were Peter? What? But anyway, but I have prayed for you. Oh, thank you, Lord. Peter must have been saying, look at this, look at this. That your strength or your faith should not fail. And look, don't forget this part. Do not forget this part. It makes all the difference in the world when you're reading the letters of Peter. And when you have returned to me, look at this. Here's, Here's your mission. Here's what I've sent you to do, Peter. Strengthen your brothers. Now see how wonderfully and beautifully it comes out in his letter. We're going to learn this is carried along as he writes this out or dictates it to a a secretary, whatever you want to believe. As he writes this out, this supernaturally is, is, uh, uh, is motivated by the Holy Spirit, but it is based on his life experiences. He says, for all of those things that I've already written, including that grand entrance into heaven, I will not be negligent. Good, good lawyer word. I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Negligence is falling below the standard of care. Oh, we have a couple lawyers in here. Negligence is falling below the standard of care. What would an ordinary man, knowing what they know in the world, do? That's negligence in the law. And here, this man's been charged with amazing amounts of knowledge, and he's saying, I am not going to dip below the standard of care. My care here, my standard of care, is to give you What's true and right so that when you're, uh, you won't be fooled by these false prophets and false doctrines that will come in and your life will be flowing with fruit. That's Peter, man. That's Peter. I won't be negligent to remind you always of these things. I'm going to tell you these things. Here's how I probably would have written it because I'm not very eloquent. I'm going to tell you these things till I'm blue in the face. If you get tired of me telling them to you, too bad. I'm going to tell them to you again. Why? Why do you think that is? Why? I'm going to, t- I'm going to tell you one reason is why. People are fickle, man. Uh, study the life of the Israelites. Why do you think you have that account in there? Well, you have it for millions of reasons. But one of the reasons is, is look at this. Israel was fickle. I mean, seriously. Come on. He took us through the Red Sea. He, he, he had all these plagues down in Egypt. And there was this one thing where it happened where we went and got this Passover lamb and we put it over our doorpost and the angel of death passed over, but the other firstborns were killed. Oh my. And he saved us out of that. And we were running to, towards this sea and these people who were nefarious and bad and going to kill us were running after us. And we looked to the front and there was a sea and we went to turn around and there was the army and we were stuck <laughs> with no way out. And God parted the sea and we went through. You know, just a couple million people, no biggie. 
And we went through and we turned around and they started to come through the enemy and collapse. And we were saved. And all of these different things that happened to us as we wandered in the wilderness, like, oh, for instance, food came out of the heavens. And when we complained, because we're driveling little complainers, you sent quail. So much quail that we couldn't even feed our faces with it. It started pouring out of our noses so much. There were rocks that were down there, and you, you poured water in the desert out of a rock. I mean, and, and on and on, and you, you could go on, I, I, I realize. And yet, Israel chose, look at this, to go the way they wanted to go. They wanted to do what was right in their own eyes. God said, you don't need a king like the other people around. Just, I'm going to be your king. No, we need a king. We know better than you, Lord. Okay, so you do a king. That uh, you know, because we've been studying king after king after king, co- uh, combined with the world, it was influenced by the world. And next thing you know, Israel's being pulled, or excuse me, yeah, the northern kingdom's being pulled out by the Assyrians, the southern kingdom's being exiled by, by the Babylonians. Wouldn't you say if anybody wouldn't fall away, it would have been the Jewish people? Now, I'm not criticizing the Jewish people because. <laughs> I look at myself and I do the same thing. But they had some pretty big miracles, folks. And here he says, I don't want to dip below the standard of care because I'd never want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. I want you to be there with the chorus singing and all and coming in with the grand entrance. I'm going to remind you of present truths. People are fickle, so I'm going to keep reminding you. Here's another thing I, I think he does. Uh, he says he's going to remind people. He's reminding people because people are fickle. They need to hear. You, you ever, by the way, who here is not a note taker in uh, either church or school? Yeah, okay. Okay, I can't talk to you guys. But no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. But you ever done this? You ever done this? Maybe you haven't because you're good at note taking. You ever said, you know, the professor, he gives the, uh, that one topic, and you know it's going to be on the test. You know it. He kind of says it, or she kind of says it, and you, you know it. And you make a mental note, and you go, okay, remember that. And about, you like, I'm never forgetting that. And about three weeks down the line, the midterm is, and you get to that one place, and you're like, oh, no. I forgot. And you know, you panic now, you know, and you make up stuff and you write like four notebooks worth of stuff that doesn't even answer the question. Yes. Okay, that's one reason. Fickleness, forgetfulness. But here's another reason. I think people are aware of these truths a lot in America. But they either don't care or just gloss over them. I think there are probably people sitting in here that might be that way. I think there's probably people watching on uh, the camera there that are probably that way. I think there are people in all churches that are that way. We are people that are aware of things about the Lord, but we either refuse or we willfully disobey or whatever what he's asking us to do. And Peter says, I won't stop reminding you of these truths. He loves us that much. Your Lord loves you that much. I'm never giving up on you, he says. 
So he reminds him. Paul, by the way, says the same thing in Philippians 3, verse 1. He says that's the safest place to be, is to remind people of the grace of God. Isn't that beautiful? Well, anyway, your, your eyes are glazed over, so I'll go, go on. Uh, and are established in the present truth. These truths I'm going to establish you in. Establish means rooted and grounded. You ever plant something and you're just so proud of it? I mean, you look at it. We, my wife and I planted some solar lights uh, the last couple weeks. And, and, and you just, you know, you go out there at night and it just makes you so pleased you're just like, wow, look how amazing we are. We pop some things in the ground. I mean, I mean, we might be coming fixer-uppers. This is amazing. <laughs> and then, you know, you go out the next day, and that solar-powered light is like this. And you're like, man, I can't even put a solar-powered light in. See, he's using a word here. He's saying, I'm going to put you in the ground so you're always and forever stable. That's what I want to do. Peter says, that's established. That's the word for established. I want to establish you so you can stand tall and strong in the world. That's what I want to do. Tall and strong so that others can see your life. You don't have to be gregarious. You don't have to be outgoing. But there's a quiet, beautiful, godly strength to a person. That's what he's saying right here. I'm going to keep saying these things to you so you'll be established in the present truth. Yes, I think it's right. That's another reason he does it. It's just right as long as I'm in this tent. That's fascinating, folks. You don't think it's fascinating yet, but you're going to here in a minute. Because he uses the word tabernacle. There's another one of Peter's great blunders. You want to read about it? Well, let's read about it. Turn with me to Matthew 17. Uh, By the way, this account that we're about ready to read, if you're a Bible student, write it down. Oh, if you're not a, sorry. (laughs) Come on, that's a joke. If you're a Bible student, write it down. This story is written in three Gospels. It's written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But guess what? Folks, this is interesting. Neither Matthew, Mark, nor Luke were there. I want you to take note. But Peter was there. And what's that story? Well, if you turn to uh, Matthew 17, sorry, I got too excited and didn't get there. You get to Matthew 17, 1 through 8. Listen to this. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. There's the inner circle, right? They get to do things other apostles didn't get to do. His brother led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before before them. Can you imagine high mountain, getting up in the mountains, hmm. just going up with Jesus, you know, you're breathing heavy, you're in altitude sickness like I got, and you know, the whole shooting match, and you're up there, and you're just like, man, we're so special, I mean, I mean, the other nine, sorry guys, you're way down there, we're way up here, we're up here, and we're by ourselves, did you note that they said that, and His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Now, I want you to do something for me. Put your finger right there and just look up just a little bit to the last verse of the last chapter. Look up there. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Can you imagine? That was uh, a week earlier. 
Jesus had said to his disciples, some of you uh, here are standing here. You're not going to die until you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. They must have been like, yes, Romans are going down. That's the oppressors. They're going down. The kingdom of God. Oh, wow. So now after about a week, he takes these three up. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And he beheld, look at this, and he also, they also saw this. Moses was there. Moses represents the law. And Elijah was there, the great prophet. Elijah represents the prophet. And he appeared to them, talking with him. And then, look at this, this is totally Peter. Anybody else feel like this? I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I'm so overcome. I don't want to have any silent pauses here, so I'll say something. So then Peter answered and said to it, Jesus, he goes, hey, Lord, Lord, oh, this is amazing, Lord. Thank you for bringing me up here. It's so awesome. Lord, it's good for us to be here if you wish. Hey, let's set up three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. We'll put up these statues. You, you guys are all equal and... You see it? And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Now keep going. Most people stop right there. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and don't be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Uh, now, as they came down from the mountain, look at this. You, you, you probably forgot this. Well, maybe you didn't, but look at this. Jesus commanded them saying, hey, you guys, you three, I know what you want to do. You want to go down there and brag. But don't tell anybody about what you just saw. Don't tell anybody. Okay, please, don't tell anybody what you just saw until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Can you imagine as they're hiking down on the trail, they're like, like, that's, that sentence is packed with a lot of stuff. And his disciples asked him, saying, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And on and on he goes. In another place, do you know, another one of the Gospels, it actually says Moses and Elijah and Jesus were talking about his exodus. It actually says it. His exodus, his leaving, his dying. They were discussing his dying And you see here, he offered to put up tabernacles. What a blunder. So when he comes back, look, see how supernaturally, naturally, the Lord turns things around in your life? Now he's using this. He says, well, listen, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tabernacle. Funny, because now I've got a proper perspective, and I'm in a tent that's fading away, and it's uh, not permanent. I want to stir you up. And if we named sermons in here, this is what we would name it. Wake up. Hey, church, wake up. Wake up. Because this is what he's saying. I want to wake you up. By, how do I wake you up, Peter says? By reminding you of the things that you already know. You already know this stuff. But I'm never going to stop going over the principles of basic Christianity. I'm going to keep teaching you the word so that you'll understand it for yourself. 
by the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you because he's the one that wrote it and he's the one that speaks it or, or makes you understand it, the Bible says, through the Holy Spirit so that you and the Holy Spirit will do business and you know it so that you can go out and live knowing that shortly I got to put off this tabernacle or tent, Peter says, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, here's some more stuff I want to tell you. I'm going to endeavor to be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. And what do you think that means? It's his written word. It's the Lord's written word. He didn't want to rely on the oral traditions. Why? Because if you put, listen, if, 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 if it happens today, if you went out the front steps, three families go out the front steps, and a car hit, two, two cars hit, I guarantee you if you get up on the stand independently of one another, this one's going to be different than this one, and this story's a little bit different. There's going to be differences in the story. You ever played that game where you whisper into somebody's ear and you go all the way around the church and you get to the last person, and the story that you told resembles nothing what the last person told? Peter here is saying that I'm going to remind you of these things because I'm going to write it down in the written word, and you're going to have it forever. You're going to have it for the time that you're here. You're going to have it. Well, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is, mark it, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Okay, do me another favor. Just turn to Ephesians 2.20. Everybody go to Ephesians 2.20. I just want you to see it again. Actually, we'll read 19 also. We'll read 19. Now, therefore, oh, sorry, you're still flipping. But when you get there, look, listen to this. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Praise the Lord. But now look at verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. They built the foundation. There's a foundation there. Look at this of eyewitness testimony. What's the best testimony? Eyewitness. He goes, you're not going to have to rely on stories that have been passed down. You're going to be able to rely on a like precious faith. That's chapter one at the beginning. You're going to be able to rely upon the same things Peter did because Peter and the rest put it in stone or papyrus. It's a joke. Wrote it down. And we're going to see they wrote it down uh, according to the Holy Spirit. So they didn't follow cunningly devised fables about the power. Look, when did they see the power? At the Mount of Transfiguration. He actually saw it. What was that? Jesus was transformed in this glory before the apostles. He wasn't merely changed in outward appearance. Jesus just became so bright that it was hard to look at him. One pastor has said it this way. I kind of like this. Try this one on. One may say that this shining glory wasn't a new miracle, but a pause in an ongoing miracle. 
The real miracle was that Jesus, most of the time, could keep from displaying his glory. And here it shone forth. And here it shone forth. So they didn't rely upon cunningly devised fables. That word's myth. There were some myths in the, uh, in the, in, that the, uh, the Jewish religion would make up. Listen to this. There were some myths that the early Christian church allowed in. You want to see one? Okay, turn to chapter 3 of Second Peter. And the myth is this. Verse 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last day, walking according to their own lusts, and saying this, look at this, where is the promise of his coming? In other words, come on, folks, seriously, you think that Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. You see, the early church, this was part of their normal routine. This is what they celebrated. This is what they thought about. This is what they depended on. They, 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 they celebrated this fact that Jesus can save you now in one sense. Salvation, right? Personal salvation. But there, there's a program and a plan in the Christian life in which Jesus is coming back. Wait a minute now, which Jesus is coming back in his second coming to judge and rule and reign from Jerusalem. And they, all of them, you read all the writings, it's everywhere in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament too, by the way, right, Isaiah people? It's in the Old Testament too, but, but it's everywhere. And they said, listen, there are people in all different segments here, the Jewish religion, uh, 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 even in the Christian church now who are saying that there's no second coming. And Greeks, you know, they were big on myths. And you, you'd probably read it when you were a kid or growing up. They had all these different gods that explained how men and women got to be on the earth and all the different powers that they had. Funny that they all uh, emulate God in, you know, million, you know hundreds of the gods, but, but, but we serve the one true and living God. But whatever. Don't follow. We, we didn't follow any devised fables. When we made known to you the power, where did you see the power? Well, he saw the power first at the transfiguration. And then, can you imagine, as he's running to the tomb, John says, I beat him there. Isn't that great? Human nature, man. I beat you, Peter. I mean, you're slow. I, mean, I can run. But I beat you there. Listen. He was a witness to the empty tomb. He had heard the stories. He had denied the Lord. You imagine the time period between that denial of the Lord and the time in which they came running and told them, the ladies did, that, that the tomb was empty. Can you imagine what was in Peter's heart? The lowness and the hurt and the shame and all of that. And now the tomb's empty. What? The tomb's empty. That power that raised him from the dead. We, we saw the empty tomb. And then we were in the uh, uh, upper room and we, we were witnesses when he came and showed himself post-resurrection and then the ascension and then the the Holy Spirit fell on the church, and then thousands came to know the Lord. Power, real power. We've seen it, and it's in Jesus Christ. That's what he says there, and he says also, uh, we've seen it uh, made known to you the power and also the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've shown you that even in the church, even then they were denying it. 
Some people say that the coming of Jesus Christ happened in AD 70. I know. When, when, when the Romans wrecked Jerusalem and, and all of that happened, and that was like now it's the church, you know, now it's the age of Christ now and his kingdom's here. And there's no kingdom in the future that he's coming back. Some strange stuff. And people believe this stuff. Despite the fact that the word tells us that there's going to be a bodily return of Jesus Christ to the earth to rule and reign. Now, why does that matter? Because it matters big time to you. It matters in amazing ways. I want to jump off the stage because you're going to get people that say this. You ever heard it? You're witnessing to people, and they say this. They say it. They say it a lot. Oh, yeah, okay. That sounds wonderful. But that guy came about 2,000 years ago, and they'll say it. They almost say it exactly like this, and they say, as I look at the world, they say, I see nothing getting better. I see nothing getting better. I see world wars. I see uh, wars, in some people's opinion, not that I agree with it, in some people's opinion, that well, we're a waste of time and whatever. I'm not debating politics. I see, I, see, uh, I see all this food available to people, and yet nobody can get it to the people that need it the most. And, and I see all of that, and I see people who are doing bad things to children, and I see it, and, and, and where's God? You ever heard somebody say that? You see, the second coming tells you that he's coming to put all those things right. I I want you to know this. The plan of God right now is not to make the world better. I hate to break it to you. The plan of God right now is not to make the world better. It's not. Jesus said in this world there will be tribulation. There is going to be tribulation. In, when he was doing his Olivet Discourse, I mean, go read it. It's, you're like, oh, okay. He's not coming to make the world better. He'll do that when he comes. What's he doing right now? We'll look down in verse 19. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag before the cat should be let out of the bag. It says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. In the King James, it says, now you have the sure word of prophecy or of scripture. You have the sure word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light. Listen to this, as a light that shines in a dark place. What is he talking about? I'm going to skip back up and show you some things. But what is he talking about right there? I have the the, the prophetic word confirmed. Well, do me a favor. Go back to the very first lines of the Bible. And guess what you're going to see? You're going to see God the Father, God the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters, and then look, and it says, and God said, etc., etc. Who's the word of God? Jesus Christ. So from the first pages of the Bible, look at this, God's revealing something in a dark world. He knows chapter 3 is coming. 
That's kind of my funny way of saying it. He knows that chapter 3, chapter 2 of Genesis is coming. Man's going to rebel. They're going to fall. You're going to need a Savior. Just go on and on and on. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. Just all throughout the Scriptures. We've talked about it on Wednesday night. Get to Isaiah. Read Isaiah 53. Oh, my. Read Psalm 22 when a crucifixion is described 800 years before it's even invented. The punishment of crucifixion, not invented by the Romans, invented by the Persians, made perfect, if you can say it that way, made cruel and awful, the best form of punishment or the most cruel form of punishment, the most terrible form of punishment, and it's sitting right there in Psalm 22. Prophecy after prophecy, where he would be born, Micah. Can you believe it? You're saying, if you're reading the scriptures, wait a minute, he's going to be born in where? That's what they would be saying. Bethlehem? Somebody's going to cast lots? He'll be with the rich and also be with the wicked? How could that be? Man on the cross, uh, uh, buried by the rich. You, you, you get all these prophecy. And prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, of course, Daniel 9.27 tells you exactly when he's going to ride into Jerusalem. So all the prophecy shining towards Jesus, pointing towards Jesus, and it's been confirmed. Do you understand that? He's saying, I've seen him. And you can base it on eyewitness testimony, not cunningly devised fables. So you people can be sure who are reading this that this is true. Not something that's spread. This is true. And when people say, why doesn't the world get any better? You have an answer. Get it? You have an answer if you know about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because if you look at the world today, folks, you're saying to yourself, if you're not paying attention to the Bible and if you don't have a biblical worldview that's established by the principles of the greatest book that there is ever written by the Holy Spirit, if you don't have those principles in your heart, you can scratch your head along with the world. Why would you be surprised that there are things on TV that you hate? That's what darkness happens with sinners. They do things according to the, or against the, the kingdom of God. And here he says, my purpose, he's telling you, my purpose until I come back is to shine the gospel in the darkest of places. But we won't go. What we do is we get lattes and we post on Instagram and we drive Range Rovers and we have an image and we have, you know, the best clothes and high top sneakers that we preach from and all these things that don't even matter. And we just want to build up an image so people will like us. It's idol worship of the worst kind. Instead of taking the gospel into the darkest places, which is your and my, our purpose because it's God's purpose. He says you have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in dark places. Look, until when? What is he hoping for? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises, where? In your heart. Now, you know from Revelation 21, 16, don't you? I'm giving away the store here again. You don't have to come now on Wednesdays. Oh man, I blew it. Jesus is called the bright morning star. What he's saying is the purpose of your life now is to glorify God and to share the gospel in the places that are darkest. 
Go there, wherever the Lord's calling you. Remember that he's not here. Don't, don't, don't give somebody a false hope of what Christianity is. Oftentimes we say this, oh, I, I've been guilty of saying it. I would be the first to admit, oh, if you'll just get, give your life to Christ, your life's going to be so much better. So what you're saying is, if you uh, give your life to Christ, your experiences are going to be wonderful. I got to tell you, that might not be the case. In, in human economy, of course it's going to be wonderful because you're communion with the Lord. But, but, but you get what I'm saying? You do well to heed as a light that shines in the dark place because you understand that if you're shining light in the dark place, that's where God is. You want to know where the will of God is? The will of God is to shine a light in a dark place, the gospel. You want to say to yourself, well, I don't know what to do. Go shine the gospel in a dark place. Pray about it and ask the Lord where to send you. Go share it with them. Tell them about Jesus and tell them about forgiveness of sins and tell them that he'll never leave us nor forsake us and yet he's coming again. That's what the guy's trying to tell you right here and me. He's coming again and he's going to set everything right. That's the, and and, and, and I, he, don't give up until the day dawns and the morning stars rise in people's hearts. There's the program for the church. Knowing this first, you, see, you can be assured. Do you understand it? You can be assured. You say, well, I don't know, man. It looks like a pretty scary place. You can base your whole life off the next two sentences. Know this first, he says, Peter says. Know this first. That no prophecy of Scripture ever came from man and man's thinking. By the way, some religious groups take this, because mine says, of no private interpretation, and they say, I don't want you commoners to read the Bible. You leave it up to us leaders. That's what some people take that verse to mean. That's not what that means. This means that you can stand firm. You can get with God's program with assurance because the scriptures, including the prophecies, are so sure they've been confirmed and you know they're not from private interpretation. Peter and his cohorts didn't make this up. Why? Because prophecy never came, verse 21, by the will of man. It's so beautiful. They sat down to write it with all their experiences, all the things that they had encountered with the Lord, making it naturally supernatural because these holy men of God spoke as they were, here's the word in the Greek, carried along. That's the word. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit to write these things down so that you would have an eyewitness account you could always trust. Well, look with me at 2 Timothy real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Sorry, I'll get there. Second Timothy chapter three. These are, these are the two uh, 
most famous uh, passages, verses 14 through 17, what I just read you and verse 14 uh, through 17 on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with respect to the Scriptures. Paul writing there says, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you learned them, and that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction. Oh man, does it do that? For instruction in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly, equipped for every good work. See, I'm convinced, by the way, side note, if you're doing any ministry in the church, you need to know the Word. You greeting? You should know the Word. You should be studying and knowing. You, you cleaning the toilets? You, you, should be, you should be knowing the Word. So should I. We all should be as you're ministering in the church. Why? Because you're in the body. And what's the body doing? Bringing it full circle. It's taking the light of the gospel into the darkest places. Folks, darkest places doesn't have to mean like poor. Oftentimes, the darkest places are the very richest places on earth. It doesn't mean you have to be in this political party or that political party and I just need to focus on them and share with them. Well, Jesus railed against self-righteousness. He hated it. We are to take the gospel there. Remember now, he's basing all of this over the fact that he got to see the transfiguration. I didn't read it to you, but he received from God the Father honor and glory in verse 17 when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. When we were with him on the holy mountain. Notice here, why do you say that Jesus is the Son of God? Why do you say it? Why do I, hey, why do I proclaim it out there? Why do you proclaim it out there? One of the reasons you proclaim it, here, you want to know why? Because you know that God said it because Peter wrote it down. It was an eyewitness account. And so here, you know that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, that's important to you. You know how important to you that is? Do you remember this during the trial? Uh, of Jesus, the high priest said to him, hey, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you're the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus replied, remember this? Yep, it's what you, as, as you say. But I say to all of you in the future, you're going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the leader said, oh my goodness, he's committing blasphemy. And then later, Pontius Pilate go, goes like this. Well, the Jewish folks insisted we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because why? Why must he die under Jewish law? Because he claimed to be the Son of God. In other words, I want you to know this. There's no doubt that this writer here, this writer here understood, and so did the other writers, exactly what Jesus meant by the phrase Son of God. What he meant by the Son of God is he's the same nature as God. Am I any greater than my sons and daughters who sit back there sometimes or over there? Am I any greater just because I'm older? No, we're of the same essence and nature. 
You get it? And the Son of God is the same nature of God. They're claiming, he's claiming to be God, and God confirmed it. You're none, you know, most of you in here are going, eh, okay, come on, let's go. I, I got some lunch available. But some of you in here know what it's like <laughs> for somebody in your household not to believe in Jesus as deity. I'm one of them in my life. And 1 John says that's the matter between life and death. So before we gloss over this thing, let us make sure we fix in our hearts in whom we believe. It's Jesus, the Son of God, and the Father said so. And fix it in our hearts. Well, I have much more to say about the transfiguration, but I'm not going to. What I want to leave you with, though, is this. Are our lives moving in this direction? Do you have a burden for other people? Do you have a burden for the dark places of life? By the way, the world is dark. It is dark. Do you have a burden for the people who don't know the Lord and won't come into the everlasting kingdom where the choruses are raining down for our entrance into heaven? Or do we just thumb our nose at people who are walking by and different than us and you know their eternal destiny? I mean, you don't know, but you're directed to know. And I pray that the folks in this place, whoever call this home and whoever's listening, who or whoever you are, would have a tremendous burden to have the Lord search their hearts and ask him to know you and your ways and to confess sin in our hearts where a a revival would start. Be a real burden for sin and then have a real great, amazing burden for people who are lost, not in some spiritually superior way, but in a compassionate, loving way. I pray even now, as we think about wrapping this up and getting on to lunch, that we think about some people in our life that need to hear about Jesus. You you know the ones, the ones where you kind of are skirting around the issue with. In man talk, that is like, hey, let's talk about sports instead of anything meaningful. And I pray that the Lord would put it on our hearts to learn these things, to remember these things. There are certain things every morning when our feet hit the floor, we should remind ourselves us of, and these are it, especially our forgiveness of sins. And now we've come into this everlasting kingdom. God's going to come back and put this whole thing right. And until he does, may we die sharing the gospel. So let's pray. Well, Lord, who? Lord, just help us here. There are uh, things that uh, are happening in our hearts now. We're messing with things that don't matter, really. Help us to clear those away.
We've got sidetracked by things that we thought were important and they're not. Help us to move those out of the way. Lord, there's sin in our hearts and sin in the camp. Help us to give us the grace to be forthright with you and honest with others about these things. And Lord, then fill us afresh with boldness, real boldness and truth and love and grace, but also truth (laughs) so that we could go out and love a hurting and dying world and not just be an idol unto ourselves. But Lord, that we would lay all of that down and live for you until our last breath. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I think that's it. I, uh, they're giving me the nod. So uh, God bless you guys. I'm sorry I went a little over. And uh, have a great week. If there's anything we can pray about, come on up. If not, Lord willing, we'll see you next time. And tonight there's prayer. So God bless you guys.